Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Man, he is so good this morning. Do you feel his presence? Amen. You know, his presence isn't just to make us feel good. His presence comes and it ministers to the deepest part of who we are. It penetrates every boundary. It penetrates every wall. It gets into every nook and cranny and does its work and heals and delivers and sets free. If you will receive what he has in his presence, you'll be forever changed. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Today is a special day. Um, I, first of all, I'm glad to be back. You know, most of you know we were gone for a week, went up and saw Amy, and she is doing fantastic up in Reading and just having a good time in Jesus. Amen. She will be home for Christmas, and she'll be given a testimony at that time of what God's done, and God has done a lot, amen, in her. She is a different, just in a few short months, she's a different girl. Amen. And we're so proud of her and, and all that God is doing. Put her into a home. Uh, we had Thanksgiving. I had Thanksgiving with my wife and 15 other girls. <laughs> and, and Miguel. And Miguel, one of the girls' brothers, was there. So me and Miguel endured the estrogen overflow. Amen. <laughs> But you know what was funny? I, I, I started telling stories of how Kathy and I met and, and the, the, our first date and how I did all that and proposed to her and all that. And so at one point in time, all the girls are sitting on the floor and I'm sitting on the couch and they're all just looking up and they're like, oh, you're so romantic. And, and I'm, I'm going, I'm looking at Kathy going, that's right. And she goes, no, it's not. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. But it makes for good stories. We had a great time, and uh, so we're glad to be back in church and back here with you. Amen. Today is a special day because we have a guest speaker. He has been a friend of mine for a long time. He has spoken into my life and helped me and encouraged me. He's also been a friend of this congregation. He has uh, spoke here many times. He's delivered the, the Word of God to us, and many of you know him. If you don't know him, you're in for a treat today. Let's give him a great big welcome, Pastor Greg Johnson. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You're looking pretty good after Thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be here. I appreciate Pastor John and Kathy and inviting me. And I've known your, your staff, Alex and Cindy and uh, Harry and Joni, for many, many years. They're old friends of mine, and so it's always good to come and see them. I live in Dallas, Texas, I know. And uh, I'm just happy to be here this morning. And I was wrestling with, I always wrestle with what to preach, because I'm always, I'm always afraid that I'll, I'll miss it, and I never know if I do or don't, honestly, when it's, <laughs> it's all said and done, but um, I, I, this first service today, I preached a sermon on the power of blessing. I'm not going to preach that sermon this morning uh, again, because I don't like to. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to. So anyhow, that's available, but that's worth getting. And so you can ask, you can even ask Pastor John. He'll yeah, tell you it's worth it. He recommends it on, on blessing. But I want to, I want to preach this morning. I have, I, I had a series this year I did about two months ago called Unlocking the Possibilities of Prayer. And I don't come to you this morning as an expert on prayer. 
I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a fellow. Uh, I struggle with prayer sometimes, making it be what I, what I know it's supposed to be. And so I'm not here this morning to, um, you know, speak as somebody who's mastered prayer. I, I'm not the Zen leader of prayer uh, the, of Texas <laughs> or even of my house. <laughs> so, but uh, I do come, I believe, with in, in my spirit a sense that the Lord gave me of urgency. Because prayer, a praying church is not a luxury. A praying church in our hour is a necessity. A praying family is not a luxury. A praying family is a necessity. There's never been an hour that I've been alive as a believer when I feel the sense of the Lord wanting to help us, but us having to navigate making time for Him. Everything in this world is trying to harvest our attention. Attention is a commodity now. Everyone's after it. Everyone's trying to get you to listen, to pay attention to what they're selling, what they're doing. And God is also trying to get our attention so that we'll spend some time with him. And so I want to I want to minister one of the sermons that came out of this series on prayer. And uh, it's called Warning, Prayer Will Change You. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22 for just a moment. And I want to read, uh, I'm going to start at verse 39 through 46. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. This is about Jesus. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Most of you recognize this is Jesus' struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But I'm not looking this morning in the time that we have together to go into some deep theological discourse on prayer. I would rather that this felt like you and I were having a cup of coffee, good coffee, <laughs> and we were making casual conversation as fellow followers of Jesus just talking to each other, sharing about prayer, what we, what we feel about prayer and what prayer could be and can be, and getting some clarity on prayer. Of all the themes that come up when you talk about prayer with anyone, there is one common thread that always seems to be there, and it's this. Why does prayer seem so inconsistent? Why is it that sometimes I feel like every word that I utter God is instantly hearing and responding to, and other times I wonder if he's even listening at all. And as upbeat and chipper as we all like to be, sometimes this question hangs around. Sometimes prayer feels amazing. Sometimes I just know that I'm aligned with heaven. Somehow I've gotten under that window, and I'm gonna, I just love it. Other times it's like, I don't know what's happening. Why is nothing happening? If we're honest, that 
inconsistency is, is, is true for all of us. But when we're struggling with prayer, I don't know about you, but I, I, my mind will start going through, well, what, what am I missing? Do, do I have the right formula for prayer? Because there's so many books and there's so many, you know, how do I pray? Uh, whose name do I use? Your name? My name? Their name? What name? You know, uh, in my name. Okay, in your name. I said my name. Okay, your name. Is it the Lord's Prayer? Is it the prayer of Jabez? Is it the high priestly prayer? Am I not soaking long enough? What's, what, what's wrong here? And you start wondering, you know, and so it's like, maybe I'm not fasting enough. Maybe I'm not fasting long enough or often enough. Or am I even doing the right fast? Do I do the Daniel fast, the Jesus in the wilderness fast, the keto fast, the radical, partial, the Jensen Franklin? I don't know which one to do. And so it gets like that. There's so many ideas and so many um, uh, philosophies about prayer that are floating around out there. And we're always looking for that secret formula, that secret kind of prayer. That, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I try to recreate where I was and what I was doing the last time it worked. <laughs> what, what, what song did I listen to? What did I eat that morning? What, what shirt was I wearing? Want to find that special anointed spot that brought answered prayer. I remember going on a backpacking trip once in, uh, up in the Pecos w wilderness above Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I tried to use my cell phone, and it wouldn't work. And so, but I found if I walked around, and, th and then I'd find, a, I'd find a certain rock somewhere, and I'd, I'd kind of get on that rock and hold it a certain way, I could get a couple of bars. <laughs> and so then all the kids that brought their phones were lined up behind me, and we're all doing the exact same thing. Because that's where we got a connection. And I think all of us have a little bit of that in us, that trying to get in that certain spot, you know, where it connects. And I think the question emerges from all this is, how does prayer work? What I want to give you this morning is my take on that. It's very simple. Maybe the question isn't, why doesn't prayer work, but what kinds of prayers am I praying? I want you to think about that. What, not, you know, does prayer work, but what kinds of prayer? Maybe the problem is not on God's side. Maybe on my side, there's some misunderstandings about what prayers, what I'm supposed to be saying and where I'm supposed to be coming from and how I'm supposed to be talking to God. The kind of things I'm asking for and the spirit in which I'm asking them. So what I want to do this morning in the time that we have left is to quickly give you what I believe are three stages of prayer. And I think these will have an opportunity for all of us this morning out of this to kind of grow in the way we approach prayer. And I think these stages are sequential. I, I know they are. But I don't want you to see them as the first stage is for novices and babies and the third stage is for black belt prayer people, you know. I don't, not they are sequential. They do move in a sequence, but I believe, my, I believe that we migrate through these at different times in our lives. Yes, 
Sometimes I'll be in that first stage. Sometimes I'll be in the second stage and sometimes. But there is a progression that I need to go through in my life that brings me from the first stage to the second stage. And so, that, so what I'm saying is if, I, if I'm in the third stage, that doesn't mean I can't go back to the first stage from time to time. You'll understand that better. But here's the three stages of prayer. The first one I want you to think about is prayers of request. This is the most common form of prayer. This is you and I, the most basic understanding is I need to get things from God in my life. And truth be known, these kind of prayers are greatly encouraged in the Bible. We are encouraged to ask, to seek, and to knock. There's nothing wrong with wanting God to do things for you in your life. And Jesus himself made this clear. In, 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 the, in his longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus mentions this. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here's Jesus. Listen to me. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the clearest teaching we have on kingdom life. And apparently Jesus felt it was important in the midst of some pretty heavy teaching to include this beautiful invitation into the Father's goodness of asking, seeking, and knocking. And so in the first stage of prayer that we all learn when we get saved, or you ought to, is we're learning about the goodness of God and the willingness of God to answer our prayers. Listen, I remember as a new convert, it's like everything I prayed for, I got. If I would have just known to pray for something of substance. (laughs) You know, it's like I had this amazing faith. Anything I wanted God to do, it was like he did. And I asked for stuff like, my dog smells like a skunk. Make him go better. <laughs> you know, he got in a tangled one last night, and I can't touch him. Lord, touch Wolf with your power. <laughs> How many of you know that when you were a new convert, there were just these outrageous times where you just would ask God stuff, you know, yeah. And he was so responsive. He's showing you how much he loves you. He's showing you his goodness. And people, I remember new converts and friends of mine would be praying things like, oh, God, if you're real, I just ask you to cause a friend I haven't seen in 20 years to walk through that door. Next thing you know, that friend walks in. Dude, I just summoned you in prayer. The guy walks in, you know. Because there's this ability, this, 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 simp- this simplicity of faith that God responds to. And, and the truth is, I think God is pleased. When I establish this this request level of prayer, he's a good father. I can ask him for anything. It's how you relate to our children when they're first born. We give them everything. They are little gods in our lives. We give them everything. What's being established is the nature of God as a father. And us as his children. He's there to provide for us what we need. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift. It's from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so the number one question in the Gospels that Jesus asked was, what can I do for you? 
That was the way he related. It's astounding. He, he doesn't rebuke us for being spiritual consumers. He invites us into this relationship. He's the one that said, if you ask, I'll give it. If you, if you seek enough, I'll respond to you. What do you want from me? And his answer was always when somebody asked him for something, he said, I am willing. Be made whole when they ask for healing or anything. And sometimes, sometimes God would answer prayers that are essentially trivial to anybody else. You ever have God answer a prayer that's small to anybody else? But to you, it was a small sign that he heard you. Years ago, I was pastoring a church, and uh, folks that were on staff then were, uh, said, listen, Pastor Greg, there's a prophet that's going to come to town, He's, and, and he prophesies on everybody. And so I'm like, really? And so they said, yeah. And so they, I, they said, we're going to, uh, on an off night, he wants to use the church building, and, and so is that okay? I said, yeah, that's fine. I was skeptical that everybody was going to get a word. And so anyhow, he's an old guy. He's, in fact, he's so old he had to sit down to prophesy. He couldn't stand up. <laughs> he's had to, and he sat behind a table. And he would just, he, when, you, when you came into the service, everybody took like a, a, a number. And it's like, you know, waiting in line at the DMV, you know, to, to get a prophecy. And so that night that I went, I, was, I, I wasn't part of the proceedings really, I, but I showed up. And, I, and in order to throw a curveball, in case you tried to call me out, I sat behind the soundboard. It's where I looked like a techie. Anyways, I'm not doesn't look like the pastor. I'm just a worker in the church. And so, but what I had done that, that evening as I left my house, and I remember as clear as I was walking out the door, and I said, Lord, if this guy's legit, I want you to have him say this to me. And then I went and hid behind the sound booth. And I didn't take a number. I said, you had to come find me, homie. Right. <laughs> so anyhow, he's, he's, I'm watching him minister to people, and it's, it suddenly dawns on me. I know these people. They're in my church, and I'm realizing, oh, my God, he's right on. He's just, he's just nailing it. But he, he, he takes a while to get to it. And when he first starts talking to you, like, well, I can see that you have feet. Everybody needs feet. Let's all, you know, it was like, it was that. You know, it's obvious stuff, you know. And then all of a sudden, he'd roll into something else. And so finally, as he got down towards the end, he said, is there anybody else here that hadn't had a word yet? And then he goes, you haven't had a word yet. <laughs> you. And so he, he calls me down. He thinks I'm the sound guy when I first come down. And I'm like, I got you now, bro. <laughs> and he, he starts out by saying, you know, I know, I, I, see, I, I see that you're a hard worker and you, you love to help around the church. And he's just, he's just kind of feeling it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling my oats, man. And uh, he's telling me, you know, uh, he's just, cause what he would do, he would just kind of just say, speak random things. And then what he'd, all of a sudden, he'd just get you. He would just literally home in. And so he just, all of a sudden, he stops this random, he's filling the air with words, and then he just says, you know what? This is what you said to the Lord tonight when you left your house, and he just repeated it verbatim to me. And so to nobody there would that have meant anything. Nobody did what you just did. They didn't go, oh, he got Pastor Greg. (laughs) No one even knew that I had said that, but I knew it. And that's how God is. He's so incredibly good that these little trivial things that nobody else would see as an answer to prayer, but you realize that was awesome. 
I hugged the guy. You're the great. Come back as soon as you can. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about God is he invites us into that kind of relationship. He wants you to pray prayers of request. He wants you to ask things. And it's a great stage that you, grow, you, you enter into in your life. But here, you cannot stay. You cannot live in, in just that child, gimme, gimme, daddy thing. You can't live there forever. Because God has more for you. As children growing up, when they're little, we give them everything they want. But there comes a point where we don't give them everything they want. Because we're shaping them. We're working in healthy parenting. Children know you love them because you give them what they want. And they also know you love them when you don't give them everything that they want. Richard Foster writes about this childhood stage, the struggles we face in maturing and growing up in the Lord. He says, as difficult as this time of struggle is, we must not, we must not, dis, uh, we must not despise it or try to avoid it. It's an essential part of our growing and deepening in things spiritual. To be sure, it's an inferior stage, but only in the sense that a child is at an inferior stage to that of an adult. The adult can reason better, carry a heavy load because of both brain and brawn are better developed, but the child is doing exactly what you expect at that stage. There's a stage where you're just a child before the Lord, and you're just asking him as you'd ask a father. And there comes a time, though, where you transition out of constantly living in that place of prayers of request, and, as a, and you begin to move in to another stage. You start off as babes in Christ, but you're meant to grow up into the fullness of the stature. It can be very painful to take infant Christians and move them into the next stage. Because you ever seen a child throw a tantrum? Churches can throw tantrums. Yeah, how many of you ever been in a store and seen a, honestly, if, you know, I'm 67, I watch some parents, their kids are like little, little toddler gods. They control their lives. The parents are running around, getting, and whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I said, just pick them up and give them a little shot. I can fix him. He only weighs 20 pounds for crying out loud. And God's the same way. When we have our little meltdowns, because you didn't get what you wanted, he's growing you. And he's showing you. And there comes a point in your spiritual life where you, you cannot live forever just in that, in that request, that prayers of request stage. At some point, the good father begins to ask you, do you love me for what I do for you, or do you love me for who I am to you? Right. Oh, that's huge. Amen. Do you love me because of how I make you feel, or do you love me because of who I am and the revelation of me? And so the first stage is the prayers of request, but the second stage is prayers of relationship. Prayers of relationship. God wants to be more than my provider, more than my source. He wants me to experience more than just his hand. He wants to show me his face. He wants me to see his heart. There is this development from just help me God, thank you God, help me God, thank you God, to who are you Lord? Psalms 27 verse 4, David says, One thing, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. 
and inquire in his temple. How many of us this morning, if I asked you, what are the first three words that come to your mind when you think about God, how many of us would say, his beauty? One thing I desire, to be near him and to see his beauty. Not his power, not his might, but to look on his beauty. This is someone who's moved away from that first stage. This is someone who wants more of God himself, not just what God can do. And this is one of the great unspoken keys to growth, is prayers of relationship. In this relationship stage, God's trying to develop relational things inside of us. He, in the first stage, he releases things to us. In the second stage, he releases things in us. One of those things he wants to release in us, and I, I, I have three of these, and they're very simple, and I gave them these names, but one of the first things God wants to release in relational prayer is the Abba cry of Father. This is the spirit of adoption. I honestly don't have time to go into all that I think that this is, and, and honestly, I'm not even equipped to. But Romans 8.15 says, For you... Did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is where prayer moves into discovering identity. See, listen to me. Faith, in its essence, is not really about acquisition. It's about identity. That when you know who you are, it's easier to get what you need. If you don't know who you are in the Lord, you'll always be insecure. You'll always be demanding. You'll always be negotiating and working deals. But when you know who you are, when you see yourself as a son, with all the blessing and all the privilege and honor confers, and do a study on adoption. Adoption in, in, in Scripture isn't talking about someone that's like your second class brought into the family. You, you'll always be adopted. No, no, no. You come in with all the full rights of a firstborn son. You come in with all of the privileges, all the favor, all the honor. And so many of us go through life with the cry of look at me or look what I've done or look what I have. But God wants to put in you the cry of look who he is. Look at his beauty. And I'm like any other human being, I long for recognition. But this is a stage of relationship where God wants to release the cry in us. And it's the cry of Abba, Father, Lord, who are you showing me who I am? You name me. If you don't develop a spirit of sonship, you'll develop a spirit of something else. Striving, proving, an orphan spirit, which operates out of insecurity and jealousy. But there's a season of life where God draws us close because he wants us to know who we are by showing us who he is. And he sends forth his spirit into my heart, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus had this. You hear it in all of his prayers. Father, Father, Father. Something else God wants to release in relational prayer, along with the Abba cry, is the bridal cry. And that's not something we talk about very much. But, you know, the central metaphor of the Bible is marriage. (laughs) The central metaphor of our relationship with God is marriage. This is the entire Old Testament covenant is bridal language. 
When God spoke to Israel, anytime they were unfaithful, he spoke to them as you've been unfaithful, you've broken our marriage vows. You've lain with another. In other words, it was always in terms of, of marriage. In the New Testament, the church, we are the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And the marriage supper, that's where we're, I mean, everything is about this. And many times people have no, there's no bridal understanding that you're the bride. You're the bride. You're the bride. You keep yourself pure because you're the bride. Not because of legalism. But because you're the bride. You're the bride. Revelations 22, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. This is where it all ends. In, in the, in the book of Revelation ends that, that, that we're gathered up as, as a bride to the bridegroom. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. This is the cry for consummation. This is the cry for a union with the Lord at a deeper level than most people ever discover. This is not just God my king or God my father. This is God my lover. Amen. This, is, this is one of those um, levels that just make men nervous. Like, oh, what did he just say? It's freaking me out. But this is the level that God wants you to, not just father, his desire isn't just to have a table full of obedient sons and daughters who patiently wait while the father says, you may eat now. And we all eat. But he wants to have a marriage. The deepest level of intimacy that we understand as humans, God tags that as he wants that bridal cry to be in us. He wants you to know him. There's a great scripture in the book of Hosea. That's a prophetic passage. And in it, Hosea chapter 2, verse 16, there's a prophecy. And in that day, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you shall call me husband, and you shall no longer call me master. Come on, that's good. In other words, there's going to come a time when it's going to shift, not just king to servant or father to son, but bride to bridegroom. It's a cry within us that God draws us closer in prayer in a deeper relation than you've ever seen. That's the real question, not are you ready to ask the Lord for more stuff, but are you ready to receive, are you ready to be the bride and come into that level of union? See, what, what will kill you as a Christian is not spending time with him. What will dry you up what will make you speak nothing but nostalgia and repetition is not spending time with him who refreshes and renews and revives and restores and brings new revelation and new words to speak it with. Have we moved to this level? So there's the Abba cry of sonship, that Abba cry of, 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 of him showing me who I am. And then I move to that next level of the bridal cry. And the third thing God wants to release in this stage of relationship is he wants to free me from my addiction to outcome. He wants to free me from that from the, the constantly, well, how come you didn't do this? And how come you haven't done that? And I, I prayed this and that didn't. He wants to free you from that. Wow. He wants you to be able to say, Lord, Lord, 
you know what? I know that my, some of the prayers I prayed haven't been answered. But you know what? I love you so much, it doesn't really matter. Amen. It honestly doesn't matter. Amen. I've got you. And if I get that or that doesn't happen, or that, you know what, I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm totally leaning every, the weight of my existence on you. Amen. And so if, if it happens, sweet Jesus, hallelujah, I'll be happy. But if it doesn't happen, I will still love you just the same. In Daniel chapter 3, there's that great Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the Babylonian names that were given to three Hebrew children that were taken during the exile. You know the whole story. They build the, the statue. They, the, the boys won't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar threatens to throw them into a burning, fiery furnace if they won't bow to his statue. But I love this in Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you're going to throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, <laughs> but if not, if he doesn't deliver us, if you throw us in there and we die, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, and nor will we worship the golden image that you've set up. Drop the mic. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so whatever you do, bro, take your best shot. Because we don't serve him for what he does. We serve him because no matter what happens, we're going to be with him. That's the bridal cry. That's the Abba cry. That's being free from being addicted to outcome and being addicted to things going the way you want them to go. He's far wiser than you'll ever be. There's a time to contend. There's a time to be content. Maturity learns the difference. There's times that I'm contending, and you need to contend for a healing. You need to contend for a breakthrough. Other times you say, Lord, you know, I'm contending, but I'm also content that whatever you do, you love me so much, I love you so much, and I'm so secure in that. Amen. I don't need to have this go my way to keep loving you. Amen. Word of caution here. Stage one of prayer is God doing your will. Stage two is you getting swept up into who he is. His presence is your passion. You hunger for a deep relationship. But a word of caution, when you're in the stage of relationship, you can judge people who are in the prayers of request stage. Yeah. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, all you want is things from God. Grow up. Well, you were there last month. <laughs> be careful when you move to a new stage with God that you don't hate where you used to be. Look, people are where they are. God welcomes every one of you this morning to wherever you are on the journey. Welcome to your place on the journey. Don't moralize the journey. It isn't about that. And don't judge people that, are not, that aren't where you are. Where you are, God brought you to. You didn't get yourself there, nothead. So stage one, just request. 
God doing my will. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, help me. Thank you, Father. Stage two, coming to not just receive from his hand, but to actually see his face and to know him and look into, to see the beauty of the Lord. Stage three is this. I close with this. Prayers of surrender. Or you'll read about this if you Google it, prayers of relinquishment. I like that word, relinquishment. It's not original with me. Shows up in a lot of writings on prayer. But I think it fits into this progression that moves me from request to relationship, and it begins with an R, relinquishment. The word relinquish means to yield, to abandon, to surrender, to cede, to wave, to renounce. These verbs mean letting go of something or giving something up. And the word implies a struggle that leads to letting go. What if I told you this morning that God's ultimate goal in your life isn't just answering your prayers and isn't just you deepening your relationship, but it's the request and the relationship bringing you to a place of full surrender and relinquishment of your will to His? What if I told you that's what the journey is all about? What? I thought we were going someplace cool. <laughs> we are going someplace cool. Smack dab in the middle of his will. Smack dab in the middle of his heart for you. The blessing he has for you. This is the kind of prayer you see with Jesus. Who spent much time with Jesus, with the Father. And who asked the Father many times to do things for him. But now he's in the garden and in Luke twenty-two forty-one, 41, he withdrew from them a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not mine, but yours be done. If you know your Bible, you'll know that the cup, you'll, the, 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 the Old Testament speaks of the cup in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zechariah, and basically, the cup refers to the wrath of God being poured out. Jesus realizes that his going to the cross is going to be his sinless life, having the wrath of God for all humanity's sin poured on it. Sinless, perfect Lamb of God about to carry the punishment for all humanity. And he says, is there not some other way? Is there not some other way? And the Father says, there is no other way. Right. And so he says, if there's no other way, then not my will, but yours be done. The Father, the Father says no, and Jesus yields. Throughout his ministry, Jesus had people ask things of him, and he asked things of the Father. This is the only time he ever asked for something for himself. And the Father said no. Because real prayer will change you. Amen. Real prayer changes us in our wrestling with God into the kind of people who are willing to do whatever he wants us to do in order that his will gets done. And listen, you have to grow into this stage. You just don't step into this stage. You don't have hands laid on you and are leapt into this stage. You have to grow into this stage. Well, how do I get there? Well, stage one, just learn about how good the Father is and how he wants to meet your needs. Amen. Stage two, grow past receiving from his hand and start looking into his heart, right. discovering your identity, that Abba cry, that bridal cry. 
that no, no longer addicted to outcome, but addicted to him. And that sets you up. These are the prayers where we don't want to do something, but we do it anyway. Amen. Listen to me. This stage of prayer is for how God gets his will done. The, the, the request stage, that's how you get your will. But how God gets his will done is when I give my will to him. His will doesn't get done any other way than people who willingly, not under duress, not under force, but simply say, you know what? I give it all to you. I lay it all down for you. And it's only by sitting in a place of relationship where this will emerge on the horizon of your life, inviting you to the greatest adventure of all, of a life fully surrendered to God. I don't, listen, I don't believe God loves me any less if I never make it here. I don't think he loves me any less as a son if I, if I, don't, if I don't achieve all the marks I was supposed to hit. I need to know that. I'm not loved less because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make it to the, the pinnacle of, of what I could have been. I don't think he loves anybody any less. But I think, I think there will come a time where for the briefest passing of shadow, when you realize what you could have done, that it will break your heart for just a moment. Just for a moment. Amen. When you realize what you held back and what he had for you was greater than anything you could have ever dreamed of on your own. It would have taken you to a place that just where his will was released on an astounding level. So my warning to you this morning is this. Prayer, when pursued properly, if I sit with him long enough, if I interact with him long enough, it'll begin to change me from wanting my will to be done to be willing to do anything to do his will. I believe we could evangelize the world in one year. In one year. If every believer in every church would give up their rights and say, not my will, but yours be done. Every social injustice could be solved Every problem with racism, every problem with, with uh, sexuality wars, all of that, all of that could be, could be healed in a year. If you could find people who would move freely through, re, through request to relationship to relinquishment. That, that that was the goal of their life. That was what they lived for. That was why they were on the earth. God has chosen in his sovereignty to limit himself to us. Did you know that? He limits his sovereignty to the activities of the church. It's a bad deal for him. Because without him, we cannot. And without us, he will not. We're his body on the earth, period. So the question God is always asking this morning is, who can I use? Who is there among my people that has moved from just request into deep relationship and is willing to move into relinquishment? Who, who wants to change? As a young convert in 1971, I felt like I moved through these stages pretty quick. I prayed for things. I got them. 
I developed a hunger for God's presence and relationship. I worked construction for my stepdad. I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, got a key to the church, would go down there by myself and lock myself in a little sound room and pray for an hour. And then I'd go off to work, work construction. I wanted God. Wanted his presence, his power. Wanted him to use me. A stuttering, you know, jailbird. And you know what? In less than three years, a door opened for a church in Yuma, Arizona, and my pastor said, Sing Greg. Sing Greg and Robin. My first sermon was my farewell sermon. It was a good thing because nobody would have come back for number two. <laughs> But you know what? God built the church in New Arizona. Still there to this day. Still there to this day right preaching on. the gospel. Right because we moved so quickly. But you know what? I've had to revisit request. <laughs> I've had to revisit relationship. And I've doggone sure had to re- <laughs> revisit relinquishment. Because I don't, you, 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 it's like, oh, I did it. I'm out. I'm done now. I'm off doing the will of God forever. No, life was not that simple. <laughs> Eugene Peterson died a few months back. He's one of my favorite authors. I love Eugene Peterson. A lot of my friends didn't like him, but I don't care. <laughs> There's a lot of things I do that my friends don't like. It's what makes me special. <laughs> but Eugene, Eugene Peterson was a, just a, for, for, for whatever reason, he helped me understand me. Yep. And the, your favorite preacher's, are not the most talented. They're the ones that make you understand who you are. And they give you a picture. He said this, and he said, be slow to pray. Be slow to pray. Praying puts us at risk of getting involved with God's conditions. (laughs) Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be our best interest. And when we realize what's going on, it's often too late to go back. <laughs> That's precious. Praying, you start praying, I guarantee you start praying, it gets dangerous fast. Oh, I got someone praying down there. Oh, I wonder if they want to know me. Oh, if, if, if they start knowing me, then I want them to start doing my will. <laughs> and so it's dangerous. Peter's on the housetop praying. He's a bit of a bigot, got some racial issues. And, you know, he's praying. He's praying. God, I just love you. It's good being Jewish. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. Sheet comes down from heaven. All these unclean, a big giant bacon fest, you know. And the Lord says, take and eat. Kill and eat, which is the motto of every hunter. Kill and eat. And he goes, no, I... Nothing like that. I eat no unclean thing past my mouth. Three times the Lord lowers it down. Finally says to him, Peter, don't you ever call unclean. Don't you ever call unclean what I've cleansed. You have a, you have a prejudice problem. And the Lord, and, and next thing you know, there's a Gentile knocking on, <laughs> it's a Gentile knocking on his front door. An Italian guy has come to town. All right, remember that? Tell you. <laughs> Lord gave me a vision of you, yeah, right. and the doorway opens to Gentile evangelism. Yeah. 
because somebody was praying and didn't like what they saw, but because they knew the Lord. Peter, Peter knew what it was like, and he surrendered and relinquished, came to the world. So you give God a praise offering for a moment. Stand to your feet with me. Let's all stand today. Thank you, Lord. I'm reading a book right now called God's Forever Family. You know, it's, it's a book that appeals to me because I was saved in the Jesus movement that was the radical salvation of a hippie generation. And, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I grew up, you know, by the time I was in high school, I, was, I dropped acid at school. Bad idea. Yeah, uh, good. Even in drama class, just did not work out. <laughs> but, you know... Just robbed and so just was just a just a mess of, of a kid. Ended up in jail. I got arrested in a homicide situation. I wasn't there, but I was in, in, implicated in it. It was just a nightmare life. And Jesus was saving people like me all over. You know, the whole the whole movement began in Haight Ashbury. Yeah. Really did. It began where kids were gathering and just this summer of love. This all this stuff. And, uh, you know, God just positioned everyone. And when the bottom fell out, and drug overdoses and violence and crime was just wreaking havoc in San Francisco. All of a sudden, these a few pioneer kids that knew Jesus, Baptist missionary kids went in there, began to reach a few. Next thing you know, start a coffee house. Next thing you know, and this thing begins to grow. Right. But in, 19, in the 1950s, David, a man named David Wilkerson was living in Pennsylvania, a little town in Pennsylvania. And he saw an article in Life magazine about gang kids in New York that were a standing trial for murder. And it was a picture, and it moved his heart so much. He saw this picture of all these young gang kids that had killed, they'd murdered a, a disabled boy. And they were being sentenced, and, and, and David Wilkerson, who's a country preacher, is sitting in his home looking at the picture, and he called his wife and said, look at the faces of these kids. Look at the fear. Look at the, the lostness of, of, of these people. And he sees this in the magazine there in his little house, and he feels this burden for these kids. And he bows his head there in his little front room, and he says, Lord, do something for these kids. Lord, reach these kids. Lord, touch these kids. And the Lord whispers right back to him and says, you touch these kids. You touch them. And so David Wilkerson, against all better instincts, yep. travels to New York City, meets these gang kids, begins to move among the gangs, leads a man named Nicky Cruz to the Lord. Yeah. Nicky Cruz gets saved. Nicky Cruz leads another, and, th and these aren't Mexicans, these are, these are Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Puerto Ricans are different. Yes, they are. I pastored Puerto Ricans, they're just awesome, I love them. And Nikki was Puerto Rican. Sonny Argonzoni was Puerto Rican. And Sonny goes out to California and starts Victory Outreach. Yeah. And a guy gets saved named Larry Reed. Yeah. And his son, Brandon Reed, is the worship leader in the church where I'm at. Yeah. As here's this circle of revival. And God knows how many young Vato locos in East L.A. and all over Southern California have been saved because one... One, I mean, you talk about Mr. Super Dork Hick guy. <laughs> has never been around gangs, knows n nothing about drugs and violence, says, I'll preach Jesus to him. Yeah. Right. And he obeys God. You know why? Because prayer prayer's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer, will, <laughs> prayer will get you in trouble. 
It'll open the door. Oh, no, it's too late now. I got to go preach. <laughs> you know, off you go. I don't know. I don't know what God, what God has for America in the, in the days that lie ahead. But as I said, I have an urgency in my spirit. Praying, you, you being a praying church, that's not a luxury or some quirky thing that's part of your ministry. That's, that's going to be a necessity. Yes. That your people, and God will raise up from among you those who you, you'll watch them move in these levels of relationship that request into relationship, into relinquishment, and then that circle will, will go again, that cycle will go again. And I'll guarantee you, you can make a difference in your world. Amen. You can make Amen. a difference. Thank you. Bow your heads for just a moment. Maybe you've come this morning, you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about. You could be young or old, doesn't matter. He knows you already. It's not a moment of your life, not a thought that you've had go through your head that he doesn't know about. And somehow he got you here today to hear about his love for you and about his dying upon the cross for you and his being buried and raised from the dead on the third day for you so that you would never have to die in your sins because he paid for those sins. He took those sins so that you wouldn't have to. And the best deal you'll ever get in this life is the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and resurrection. And listen, if you've never done that, I'm not here to embarrass you or sign you up for anything. I'm just here to ask you, if you want to, if you feel in your life right now, you need to do this. Because God's already been talking with you long before you ever heard me or came in here or heard Pastor John or Pastor Harry or Pastor Alex. You've, God's already been talking to you. And right now this morning, you could respond in a moment of time and say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And so every head is bowed just for privacy. If you're here and you want to pray this morning to receive Christ as your Savior, come to Jesus. Would you raise your hand and hold it up high? Just where I can see it. Thank you, my brother in the back. Thank you over there. Any others join these? Thank you, sir. Just hold it up real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just put it right up and right back down. Thank you. Thank you for those. Amen. Listen, I'm going to pray a prayer. I want everyone here to pray this prayer with me. If at the end of the service you want to talk about the decision you just made, there'll be people right here in the front to talk with you and help you through that. But right now, everyone, repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me and you died upon the cross for my sin and you were raised again on the third day. I ask you to forgive my sin. Come into my life. Send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me so that I can live your life in my life. I love you this morning. I need you this morning. I want you this morning. Thank you for saving me. Would you give God praise for that? Because that's awesome stuff right there. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, listen, that's all I have. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.